Welcome to Resolution, an initiative of Josh McDowell Ministry. Here we equip you to help youth overcome hurts and struggles and start thriving in life with Christ and others. I'm your host, Ben Bennett. Welcome to Season 1. Thanks for checking out the first episode of the Resolution Podcast. We are amped up about this uh, initiative that we're doing, which is all about helping youth overcome hurts and, and struggles and start thriving in life with Christ and others. And uh, a little background on this podcast, this initiative, uh, Josh and I have been meeting with theologians, with brain scientists, with therapists for uh, a couple years now. And uh, we've been developing something we're calling the Wholeness Apologetic. And this is a biblical model that helps people heal from brokenness and, and begin to live the life that they were created to live. We'll be talking more about that throughout these podcast episodes, and we'll be releasing associated resources with this uh, podcast. And we're launching this resolution movement because you see it all around Young people today are hurting, they're, they're struggling, and I think few understand why or, or what to do about all of these issues, but it's high time that we re-examine what God actually says about how we heal, about how we start to thrive by understanding what he says about that in his word. And, and we'll be providing solutions throughout this podcast. Um, it's high time we re-examine the solutions that we've been offering people. And these solutions we'll be talking about are um, biblical. They're, they're rooted in healthy relationships with Jesus and others. They're root cause in nature. And we'll be addressing these underlying factors, the, the deeper issues that are driving many, many of these struggles that youth are, are caught in today. Um, so thanks for joining us today. And, and today I'm joined with the one and only Josh McDowell. Josh, thanks for being with us on the show. What a, This is like dying and going to heaven, Ben. <laughs> you made it. You finally made finally it. Finally made it. I don't have to worry anymore. Man, it's such a joy to get to, to do this with you. Thanks again for being with us. Well, you pay good, so why not? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, before we dive into everything today, uh, Josh, we've got to hear from you on something. Uh, For decades, you've been helping youth, youth pastors, and parents deal with common issues throughout the decades that are coming up with each generation that youth are facing. So will you give us a, a little background on what Josh McDowell Ministry has been up to for years, helping, helping youth? I think the key in ministry is to anticipate problems, conflicts, uh, cultural change, because the gospel never changes. But how we preach truth and share truth will change mm. according to the culture. So we always try to anticipate what's going to happen two, three, four years from now to start dealing with it before it becomes a cultural significant uh, issue, uh, especially with young people. And then we we do it in campaigns over the years we have. We've had six major Mm -hmm. campaigns, and a campaign lasts about six years. And in a campaign, even though it's geared towards young people, we first have a parent track. Because if you're going to impact young people, you've got to impact parents parents because they're the 
the the number one closeness to a child. Mm. And so you don't go around parents, you go through parents. Second, we also have a middle school track. Um, because it's best to deal with middle school before the problems become a reality. And then we have a teen track mm. uh, with that. And usually lasts about six years. And, and kind of the life of our ministry, ministering young people, will start with a curve. And most people wait until the campaign's over. Now what are we going to do? No. As we're up about right here come the top, we're already starting to launch the next campaign. Wow. So then when that campaign ends, you don't lose one single day. You're already in another area mm. of impact. And so it kind of goes like this uh, over the years. And I believe when you have a campaign, you have plenty of time to deal with the deeper issues in a person's life. So that's how we operate. Mm. That's how I operate. Right. And you did that for, or have been doing that for decades, reaching, God's used you to reach Boy, do millions. I feel old with that. Decades. <laughs> At least you didn't say centuries. <laughs> Definitely not centuries. But God has used you to reach millions of people all around the world throughout the decades. Well, we've been doing it 58 years. Wow. You're not even that old. No, definitely not. <laughs> 31 this week. Um, but today, what we're going to be talking about specifically with, with that background, uh, today we're going to be talking about the five challenges that young people today are experiencing. Uh, things like anxiety, loneliness, porn use. Uh, Josh and I have spent the past few years gathering research, speaking, working with young people all over the world, really. And uh, we'll explore those challenges today and then talk about what we can do about it. So let's just get right into it. The first challenge we want to explore today that youth are facing is mental health issues. Issues like anxiety, depression, and suicide. And in our day and age, these are at astronomical levels. For example, uh, last year, Pew Research shared a study finding that 70% of teens say anxiety and depression are major issues amongst their peers. Another study from JAMA Pediatrics found that between 2007 and 2015, emergency room visits for suicidal thoughts and attempted suicide doubled among children and teens. So, Josh, why do you think we're seeing such a rise in these issues today? There's no one cause. Mm. It's multiple. And several of the key ones started in 2006 to about 2008 with what? The introduction of the iPhone, the smartphone. Because then the knowledge that was accessible by a child, both good, bad, and ugly, was just one click away. The smartphone has changed everything. And here's one of the problems. Today, kids are connecting, but they're not relating. They're, they're connecting with their thumbs and not relating with their tongues. Mm. And when the way humanity has been created, if we don't have interpersonal relationships, it affects our emotional stability, everything. And then the other, with all of that happening, when there's a disconnect with the father, not the mother, with the father, and you take the implication of the smartphones, and then the, for over half the kids are not even raised in a home where the father is present, wow. then you have a potential explosive situation culturally and emotionally among young people. And you see that in depression. Hmm. Well, well, look at this. 
between the millennials and the next generation, um, Gen Z, if I'm getting my stats right here, it's something like 300% greater on a mental health problem scale the Gen Z is over against millennials. Wow. That's in one gen- You would expect that in two or three generations, not one. And so it shows when the introduction of the smartphone, that's what everything comes back to, something happened in culture. Now, I love the smartphone. Right. But you need the maturity to handle it, and young people don't. And parents are not dealing with the young people with it. So that's what, some of the reasons why we have such a higher mental health, depression, anxiety, suicide rate today. Yeah, it's so tragic. And if I think about back on my teenage years, um, I personally know how challenging it is to deal with many mental health issues, anxiety, depression, OCD. And it was particularly hard as a teen because I wasn't telling anyone about those issues. I was just suffering in silence and and trying to deal with it on my own. And it was so hard to to get through um, those years uh, alone. It was so painful to live in that. Um, well, the second issue that we want to talk about today, second challenge, is shame and emotional wounds. We recently asked uh, close to 300 pastors and ministry leaders about common issues their young people are, are facing and their receptiveness to deal with these, these issues. And they indicated that by far emotional wounds and negative self-image are some of the most significant problems they're experiencing. But what was interesting was these um, pastors and, and youth ministers felt overwhelmed with, how do I even begin to deal with this? It's such a, a big issue. Every, it was almost like every kid was, was dealing with this. Um, Josh, you've been speaking on shame and, and self-identity, self-image for decades. What do you attribute this increase to within young people? About eight years ago, about 2013, 12, 13, as I was studying culture, which I always do, I noticed that something was changing in youth culture. The way they were responding to certain things you would say, their actions, behavior, their attitudes. And usually I can put my finger right on a problem and give you the solution. It took me a whole year. Wow. And I remember when I called Dottie and I said, now I understand what's happening. Mm. It's because of pervasive internet pornography. You see, when a child starts watching pornography, there's a number of things that happens. One, they develop an incredible shame. Mm. And that shame affects the way they respond to everything. Second, when they start watching pornography, and this is what I saw first, it starts to diminish their respect for authority, authority of the Bible, of the church, of the pastor, of their parents, of their teacher. And that's what I was catching that the response and positive response to authority was going down, down and down. And then when you start watching porn, there begins an isolation Hmm. because you want to get alone. You want to get alone. You want to get alone. The greatest thing for a teen today is to be at home, not at a party, nowhere else, not having sex with a girl or anything else, at home, in the room, with the door closed, using their thumbs on porn. Right. And as a result, that's affecting relational skills, which affects all of culture, and reflects on their desire to know or not know Jesus Christ. 
Yeah. As I think about that idea of being, or just people being in their room alone, looking at pornography, or even on social media, just the isolation that happens and the lack of um, healthy relationships where people aren't speaking into their life or affirming their their value and, and just having this lack of awareness of what God says about them. Uh, it's I've seen it all over. It's so pervasive um, and, and how young people operate and, and view themselves. Uh, I was recently speaking a couple months ago to some teens and college students. And after I got done speaking on shame and self-image and who God says we are in our uh, identity in Christ and whatnot, um, we were having small group discussions and asking about when it comes to self-image, what are the main issues uh, you deal with or in relationships with other people? You know, how does um, shame come out? And almost every single student in those in the group that I was in said acceptance, that they really struggle with acceptance. They, they want to please other people. They want to fit in, but it's almost like a daily thing. They're questioning their, their worth and their value. It just seems like it's, it's everywhere in our, our society. The third challenge youth are facing today is porn use and sexual assault. Uh, recent prevalence studies with teens and how much they view porn can be challenging to find for various reasons, but we do know that the majority of men and women regularly seek out porn. In fact, 91.5% of men and 60% of women have sought out porn in the past month. In addition to that, when Josh and I speak all over the world, it's our common experience to hear that the majority of male and female teens, Christian or not, are caught in, in the grips of, of porn use. Um, wouldn't, wouldn't you say that's true, Josh? Oh, heavens. Uh, it, it's the, probably the number one thing I see. I was in a situation with probably one of the top Christian schools in the world. I mean, mm. biblically based, practical, everything. And I was speaking on sexuality, and during the Q&A, uh, several questions came up on porn. Well, that's a green light for me, and I jumped right into it. When it was over, uh, two professors and a um, uh, headmaster from the school came up to me and said, oh, thank you, what you shared is going to help us so much, but we just wish you'd never mentioned porn. And I said, why? And now, this is amazing. They said, we don't have that problem. And now that you've mentioned it, we're probably going to have to face this problem. And I'm sitting there saying, how in the world did you ever become a headmaster with such lack of intelligence and insight? I would say the number one problem of every single Christian school in the world is pornography. Hmm. Number one. And the problem is most of the headmasters don't see it and they can't address it because the parents will get on them if they do. And so that next April the 24th, I get this email apology saying, wow. we owe you an apology for what we said to you and what we said afterwards after you left. He said, we started to notice things among the students because of what you had said. We would never have noticed them. They'd always been there. And they checked it out. So they, they did a survey. This, now, this is where the headmaster redeemed himself. <laughs> it was 315 to 16-year-olds, sophomores, and all Christians in this top Christian school. And so they did a 20-question survey just to ask two questions. 
And the two questions were planted in at one, do you watch pornography on the internet? And two, if you do, do you need help? Mm-hmm. That was a purpose survey, but they, it was brilliant. And, right. and they said, Josh, when it came to the question, do you watch porn on the internet? All 300 students said yes. What? Second, they said to the question, do you need help? All 300 said no. And that's probably true in the majority of Christian schools in the world, let alone churches, church youth groups, everything. And in another situation, uh, I was invited by crew to speak about the next 10 years. What do you see in ministry? This was to all their big financial supporters, pastors, key pastors from all the area where they're leaders. And so, of course, I had to hit on porn. Mm -hmm. And I really laid it out there. Well, afterwards, the head of the Evangelical Alliance of all the padded churches went up to crew and complained that, look, we don't have that problem. Why in the world does he bring that up? That's not good. <laughs> and um, then I got a call from crew about two weeks later. He went home to his 15-year-old son. He said, can you imagine what the speaker said tonight, Josh McDowell, is that most of our kids have a problem with porn. And his son said, Dad, I've been addicted to pornography since seven years old. This is the head of all the evangelical pastors and churches, Hmm. totally oblivious to what was going on. And crew called up and said, we now, we were against it, but now we thank God that you dealt with the issue of porn. Wow. And so that is just typical almost everywhere I go. Hmm. Um, I was in another Christian school. And they said, no, we don't want you to mention porn. We don't have that problem here. (laughs) So I was speaking on sexuality and I didn't mention porn. I'm walking out and three girls and two guys came up to me and said, thank you for what you said, but why didn't you mention porn? I didn't dare to tell them. Well, the administration asked me not to because you don't have the problem. So I just said, was that a problem here? And this probably about a 10th grader girl threw her arms up near and said, oh, everybody watches it. Hmm. And here, just one hour before, I was told by the administration of the Christian school, we don't have that problem here, so please don't talk on it. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, 15 years ago when I was a teen and I was going to public school and whatnot, I knew most of my guy friends, we talked openly about porn and that was before the smartphone. That's right. That was just, <laughs> the smartphone took that and took it into outer space. Exactly. And so now it's like, it's almost everybody in anybody who's young, male or female, has access to porn or is going to come across it accidentally or, you know, may already be, be hooked. I think here, here's something to remember. Parents will come to me and say, look, Mike, Josh, you don't understand. My kids are good kids. Mm. My kids love Jesus. We study the scripture together. They're not going to look for porn. And I want to say, Mom, Dad, you live in the 21st century, the smartphone. Wake up. (laughs) And I'll say, yes, your kids probably are good kids. Mm -hmm. And most Christian kids will not look for porn. But you missed the point. Porn is looking for them and will find them. That's the mentality has to be of a parent. Not that Mike, I don't have to worry about it because my kids won't look for porn. Well, porn is looking for your children and will find them, period. Yes, 
I mean, through whether it's pop-ups or in apps or the, the, ind- the porn industry does this because they want to create life colon consumers of, of our children. It's, it's coming after us in so many different ways. Well, they say, the porn industry says, give us a child until they're 11 and we'll have them the rest of their lives addicted to porn. Wow. Now, that's not true because a small percentage can break that addiction, but a very small percentage. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think what we have to understand as parents, as leaders um, is, and it's, yeah, is that this porn issue, you know, it's, it's not a male issue. It's not a guy's thing. It's, it's not even a female issue. It's a global everyone issue, regardless of background, regardless of location in the world. Uh, so many people are struggling with pornography. Um, and and it, porn has changed a lot in, in recent decades. I mean, mainstream porn is no longer what it was decades ago. It's no longer simply nude pictures, right? I told Dottie, that's my wife, Yeah, Dottie, about great. four years ago. After the smartphone came out, I said, you can do almost anything you need to do with a smartphone except have sex. Mm. Now that's changed. Actually, with a smartphone, you can have sex. Uh, because now you can go to all these apps, which kids know which they are. You can interact, everything, especially with VR. 80% of all porn income now, from what I understand in the media, is virtual reality. Wow. With the headsets. Mm-hmm. 80% of income. And where's that income coming from? Over half of it from kids with VR headsets. But um, you look at violence, sex abuse. Marianne Layden, a, a head of the um, uh, violence department in counseling of um, Penn, University of Pennsylvania. Marianne shared with me, said, Josh, the number one thing I deal with is sex abuse. Wow. And a lot of children on children sex abuse. Mm-hmm. And she said in every single case, now she's one of the number one authorities in the world. She said in every single case we find pornography and violence, Hmm. starting with social media. And then it's accessibility. It's just one. This is what parents have to realize because it's a new world. It's just one click away. Right. Some of the greatest violence you can and this violence usually against women Mm -hmm. and children are acting out and this is why one of the biggest epidemics now developing is children on children sex abuse and it starts with pornography Mm -hmm. and the the tremendous violence in it i don't know why any young person should have a smartphone people say well for security if something happens at school you can get a hold of them then give them a flip phone Right. <laughs> just, you know, flip it open, call mom then. Yeah, I remember those days. <laughs> yeah. Flip and, uh, but the key to a smartphone is character. Hmm. Are we building character into our children that they have the capacity to make right moral choices? And I would say with the majority of homes, no. Hmm. They don't. The reason most even Christian parents give in to a smartphone, they don't want a fight. They just rather give in than have a fight. And I'm sitting there saying, oh my gosh, 
Who's the parent? The adult or the child? Hmm. Yeah. And and it's so dangerous having those smartphones with without I like to call it internal filters, like building into our kids' internal filters so that they know what to look away from, what not to not seek out. Not internal filters in the smartphone until the internal filters yeah, within in that. their own conscience and mind. Yes. To know the damage of what pornography is going to do. And, and I think for us to be aware as leaders, as, as parents, that when it, where I've had this thought where the, um, where the church is silent, the enemy speaks and, and, when we're not talking about healthy sexuality, sex, um, what God says uh, about it, and a kid hears the word sex or just gets on Google or accidentally comes across that, what they're coming across is not just nude pictures, but they're coming across mainstream porn, which is violent, it's abusive, it's full of themes of sexism, racism, pedophilia. One it's, click away. Mm-hmm. Here, here's one of the problems that... If you do not raise a child feeling comfortable with their sexuality, understanding what sex is, why God gave sex, that God created sex, it's something beautiful, your body is beautiful. I believe if you don't create that within a child by five, six years old, you will probably lose your child. Why? Because the latest statistics show globally the average age a child becoming involved in pornography is eight years old. And if you don't, do not build within them some spiritual antibodies before that time, you will lose your child. Why? With most children, when they start seeing pornography, and they're going to see it, mm-hmm. it's looking for them. Most, even Christian kids, cannot tell the difference between a counterfeit and the original or the real thing. We need to plant the real thing within our children's minds. So when they see pornography, they understand this is not the way God created. It's a counterfeit. And so mom and dad, I I wrote a book on this called, what's it called? Straight Talk With Your Children About Sex, meaning the day of the internet and pornography, which has changed everything those two things have. And I get the question all the time, well, Josh, what, what age should I start talking about sex? And everybody thinks I'm joking. I'm dead serious. And I say, at birth. What? And they'll say, that's ridiculous. I said, no, it's not. Look, it takes three to four years to build into your child a healthy spiritual antibody to a challenge. Mm-hmm. And if it starts at about seven to eight years old, then you better start at birth. You say, well, how do you do that? Well, very simple. Whenever I would uh, give one of my daughters and my son a, a bath or change their diaper, whatever, now, they wouldn't understand the words, but they'd understand the attitude. They said, oh, isn't God wonderful? He created you so beautiful. That's sex education. Hmm. Then later, isn't God wonderful? He creates little girls with vaginas. Oh, God, it's so good. And a little later, isn't God wonderful? He creates little girls with vaginas and little boys with penises. Isn't God wonderful? Little by little by little, you build upon it. And I say to men, listen to your wife. Usually the woman knows how much at a certain time. But most people say, parents say, well, I don't don't want to give too much too early. I said, you know, that's probably never been a problem. You know what the problem is in almost every Christian home? Too little, too late. Mm. Mom, dad, you've got to start early building in that concept of the original because you got to have in your mind 
Now, in pastors' homes, it's probably four to six years old that kids are exposed to porn. Where in the world, it's eight years old. Now, don't ask me to explain why, but that's what the stats show. And so you've got to build in that antibody before they see porn, which they're going to see. Mm. They will see it. Yeah, I love that thought. So, so good. Well, we got two more challenges to go over. Um, We've already gone through three. Three. We have been cruising, crushing it. <laughs> um, but, but the fourth challenge is also totally an epidemic around around the world, and that challenge is loneliness. Uh, the health insurer Cigna recently found that young people today are more lonely and feel more left out than millennials, baby boomers, and the greatest generation. What's crazy is young people today are more connected through the internet and social media, yet lonelier than ever. Compared with teens of previous decades, teens today are less likely to go to the movies, to go to parties, to go on dates, to hang out with friends. Uh, instead, often they're alone on a Friday night on their smartphone. So, so Josh, haven't you witnessed this all around the world? Globally, in almost every country, the number one epidemic is loneliness. And what has blown my mind, I cannot believe how it affects us neurologically, everything, our brains, loneliness. And a lot of it is from what I shared before, starting about 2006, 2008, with the introduction of the smartphone. They'd rather be alone at home in their room with the door closed than on a date or at a party or having sex with a girl. Who ever dreamed that teens right. wanting to go to parties would diminish? They're even wanting a driver's license. Mm. I cannot believe how many moms said, I can't believe my child is not talking about getting a driver's license. When we were all kids, it's all you could dream of was getting that driver. Now, right. they don't want to leave home. They want to be in their room with the door closed with their thumbs on the smartphone, not with their tongues in relationship. And you nailed it when you said, that the majority of them are connecting. See, they're connecting, but not relating. Mm. Connecting does not satisfy that emotional content of the DNA in our lives. Mm. Only relationships do. And this is a, a tremendous effect upon it. Uh, and so one of the best things parents can do is constantly interact with your children. And the best thing is this. Listen to your children, now carefully, without judgment. Don't interrupt them. You want to say, you're going to be prone like I am to say, well, that's not true. No, just listen to your children. And then usually that'll give you an opportunity to respond. And then with a non-threatening attitude, maybe question some of the things that they've shared, but then listen to their answers. You listen to your children. It's one of the best ways to deal with loneliness in their lives. Second, to be involved in their lives, to do things with them, go places with them. Um, what do they like to do? Do it with them. Uh, eat with them and all. It's amazing. The research shows families that eat together stay together. Mm. Who I ever thought that? of that? Yeah. I mean, I thought, I never knew food went that far. But when a family eats together, they're together, not in separate rooms in the house, everything else. Mm. And so... We've got to learn with our children to relate. Wow, that's so, so good. Um, and then the fifth and final challenge 
is youth today are growing up with the least biblical worldview in American history. Our friends at Barna recently produced a massive study, amazing study on Gen Z. It's actually called Gen Z, the study. Uh, and they define Gen Z, Generation Z, as those born between ni- uh, 1999 and 2015. And they found that only 4% of Gen Zers in the U.S. have a biblical worldview. But let me put this. I think their study showed that among Christians, it's less than 9%. Wow. <laughs> So are they really Christians? That's the question. Well, Um, one of the important things is, Ben, research shows that the number one effect upon a child's behavior is their worldview. mm. How people say, what's a worldview? It's how you view the world. (laughs) Makes sense. Yeah, how they view life, people, relationships, etc. is your worldview. And that's the number one effect upon behavior. If, cho- if parents did anything, it would be to teach your children. Now, this would take two, three, four, five years, a healthy biblical worldview. How do you look at people? How do you look mm. at men? How do you look at women? How do you look at marriage? How do you look at, at sin? How do you look at life? All that affects the way you behave. Right. Well. Most of your behavior starts with a thought. Mm, yeah. I like to say behavior follows belief and, and what, you know, what we're teaching to our, our kids about who they are and who God is and how to relate to one another drastically affects, like you're saying, uh, behavior and what flows from that. You give me 30 minutes with a two or three children in a room and within 30 minutes I can tell you basically what each one of their values are. Hmm. Wow just based on how they're behaving. By asking the right questions and what their answers are. Mm. Interesting. Um, an, another stat that I was going to share on this was that uh, 24% of Gen Z think what is morally right and wrong changes over time based on society. We're in this time now of this rise of moral and spiritual relativism. I think we need to go back to the issue of truth. This is how I define it. A number of years ago, truth was objective. It's what you observed. Then, gradually, truth became subjective. It's what you thought. Mm. Now, literally, all that has changed. Now, Truth is emotional. It's how you feel. And I would not say now that we have so much spiritual relativism. Mm. We have spiritual individualistic morality. Mm. Yeah. It's based on the individual, not culture. And it's how you feel, how you think, then that is real and true for you. Mm. And that's, that's the culture we're, we're living in and all the shifts we, we've gone through where from generation to generation, it seems like they're defining or trying to define what truth is, but we know as Christians that God defines truth. It's Several years ago, I spoke at the National Apologetics Conference, <laughs> and I spoke on truth. And when I finished, I had to get to the airport, so I walked down in front of the podium and out the side door in front of about 2,000, 3,000 people. And this student got in the back, started running forward yelling, 
Dr. McDowell, Dr. well, everybody was listening. He came up to me and he said this. Why does truth even matter? <laughs> and I Good said, question. well, do you want the truthful answer or do you want the false answer? He went, uh, and I turned around and walked out. When I got to her, I looked back and he was, he didn't get it. <laughs> you can't live life without truth. Every mm. time you turn on your GPS, do you want a false direction? No, you want truth directions. Right. Every time you ask someone, um, could you do this for me? Do you want a false response or a true? You want a true response. We can't live without truth. Right. And then to have the question, why does truth even matter? Incredible. So while some say, may say that this is the most broken generation uh, in American history. It is. We know that our brokenness isn't a barrier, but it's a bridge to Jesus's healing work. But we, we have to understand how Jesus practically brings healing and, and offer it to this generation. So, Josh, how do you see these struggles, the mental health issues, loneliness, porn use, intersecting with evangelism or, or sharing our faith with others? Here, I believe, is a life truth or a life principle. There are many ways to Christ, but only one way to God. That's through Christ. Hmm. There's many ways people come to Christ through emotional hurts, conflict, re broken relationships, anger, everything that they will come to Christ. The feel of lostness, uh, shame and all will bring them to Christ. But there's only one way to God. Many ways to Christ. One way to God, and that's through Christ. And what we need to make sure, and this can be difficult, mm -hmm. and boy, this is so key with youth pastors, if people are only coming to Christ out of brokenness looking for a healer, not out of sinfulness looking for a savior, then we have failed them. Hmm. We need to always make sure that when they come to us with brokenness, we point out sin, mm -hmm. that they need to sell them, see themselves as sinfulness in need of a savior, not a healer. Hmm. And uh, so God will use many things to bring us to Christ. But to get to God, there's only one way, through Christ. Yeah, yeah. As our Savior, not our healer. Mm -hmm. Not just our healer, but he can, of course, he, he's both, but right? the healer is what brings us to Christ as Savior. Mm -hmm. There's only one thing that saves us, Christ's death across for our sins, period. Right. Not that plus healing, not that plus works, not no. There's only one way, by faith in Christ. Yeah. Is the only way. So good. Yeah. I think about my journey as a kid. Um, and I had different motivations for following Christ, following Jesus throughout the years. Early on as a kid, I remember just having this awareness that God is real and I want a relationship with him. And that was one of the motivations initially. But also, I knew that I was a sinner and needed forgiveness to be able to be saved and enter into that relationship. And I think. So many kids today, whatever your motivation, whether it's like they're wounded or they're anxious or they're depressed or looking at porn or, or want to experience love and acceptance. Let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. Was that the motivation maybe behind one of your first tattoos? <laughs> no, no, I'm serious. Was that one of the motivation behind one of your first tattoos? Was it about Jesus or hurts and health and spirituality? No, I think I just liked the, the way the way it looked. 
Do you have any tattoos about Christ or? Oh yeah, tons of them. Tons, wow. tons. Wow. Yeah, if I'm got missing tons out of in life. Boy, I know. I only got freckles. <laughs> yeah, we got to get you tatted up. Um, but just to summarize that that last point, people can be broken and wanting a healer, but they we need to tell them that about sin and their need for forgiveness and and the cross. And that's how they enter into a relationship. And of course, so many things Jesus offers us, the new identity, healing, eternal life, all of it. He's usually things. first our savior and then our healer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And that's a fine line. Yep. I can't, most people think I came to Christ through the intellectual route. Mm-hmm. I didn't. My biggest struggle was people would say to me, Josh, they would know me, my background. They said, well, you know, there's a heavenly father who loves you. That didn't bring joy to me. That brought pain. Mm. My father hurt me. And I could not distinguish the difference between a heavenly father and an earthly father. And I grew up re- believing fathers hurt, whether it's a heavenly father or an earthly father. So my greatest problem was not intellectual. It was emotional. Wow. It was relational. But then once I became convinced my heavenly father, a heavenly father is different earthly father. Then I had to be, and God knew I had to be convinced intellectually that it's true, the Bible and Jesus. Yeah, so good. So, so Josh, what do you think um, is at stake? If we don't reach, if we don't pass our faith on, if we don't reach this next generation with Jesus' message of salvation, of healing, of biblical convictions, I think what most research shows, and it's already happening, is the church will start to shrink globally, Mm. both in numbers and in percentage of population. And what concerns me, what keeps me going night and day, is if we do not reach Generation Z, and we can, and there's many wonderful things being done, what's going to happen with the next generation? This is probably the first time for me I couldn't tell you what the next generation will look like. Wow. When we talked about millennials, I pretty well described Gen Z. But now we talk about Gen Z, it's hard for me to describe the next generation. I'm not quite sure. Hmm. And so there's a lot of ifs up in the world, what will happen. But one, the church will shrink in absolute numbers and in percentage. Wow. Wow. And, and while that could be the case, I think during this day and age, what the enemy intends for evil, God wants to turn around and, and use for good. Because Jesus, we know that Jesus offers peace to the anxious, joy to the depressed, uh, identity. Forgiveness and, and to the sinner. Yeah, forgiveness to the sinner. Um, acceptance and love to the, the porn addicted. Um, a, a relationship with with God through Jesus and forgiveness that 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 relationship we were designed to to have. And it isn't interesting of all that you listed, only one thing would take them into eternal relationship with God. Yeah. Forgiveness mm-hmm. through Christ. Yes. Yep. Not that's love, where it starts. Not all this that's right. Right. Amen. Um and, and we have this huge opportunity to to help young people meet Jesus experience true healing, freedom, eternal life, the life they were created to live. But 
we have to help them understand what's going on there, what's driving these common hurts, the, these struggles, um, not just biology, not just sin, but the relational deficits they have with, with God, with self, with others. Um, they need to enter into this relationship with God and know who he says they are and how he's designed life to, to live. And we can, but you know, Ben, the number one factor there, and I would say more with Gen Z than with millennials and, and others, if they don't see it, they won't believe it. Mm. If ever there's been a time that as believers, we need to live out our faith in relationships. Because without that, we will not reach Gen Z. And if parents don't live out their, their faith in their love for each other, their marriage, the way they treat their children and everything, you will lose your children if it's Gen Z. Wow. If they don't see it, why in the world should they believe it? Mm. They're very practical. Mm. They're very pra- We need to live it out. So good. And that means when we make mistakes, which we all do, how do we handle our mistakes? The key to the Christian life is not how we handle things that are going well. It's how do we handle things when we make mistakes, when there's sin enters our life. How do we deal with it? Mm. My wife... She used to show up at school more than any other parent ever dreamed of showing up because if Dottie was really short with the kids or something and did something wasn't good for, they left for school. She would always get some candy. I would call her the chocolate kiss mother. She'd get these little silver wrapped chocolate chips. She'd go to school, knock on the door, call Katie or Kelly or Sean out and apologize to them and give them two or three chocolate chips. Uh-huh. They saw in their mother the Christian life. Well, we can, we can help this next generation learn who God actually says they are and how to have healthy relationships and as we model it to them. And we can help them also understand that behind these unwanted behaviors, behind these struggles are these unmet longings, these unmet desires that, that Jesus wants to satisfy in better and healthier ways. We've got a huge opportunity as leaders, as parents, as Christians to to help reach young people for Jesus and help them experience hope, healing, freedom, salvation, forgiveness, um, and and overcoming these challenges. And what's cool about this generation is they're so passionate. They want to change the world. They're quick to unify around social causes. They're open to spirituality. Uh, I think they're ready for Jesus's message. They're, they're ready um, for this. If you're tuning in today, we want to invite you to be part of this movement, the Resolution Movement, to get equipped through these podcasts. Um, uh, follow us on social media. Check out the social media channels uh, of more resources that will be making available associated resources with with everything uh, that we'll be coming out with. Um, but it's time for a, a resolution. It's, it's time to do this, to reach this next generation. Thanks for listening to the Resolution Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean so much to us if you rate it, share it, and subscribe. To be part of the Global Resolution Movement, connect with us on social media and YouTube, at Resolution Movement. That's at Resolution Movement. 
and check out resolutionmovement.org for more information and resources. See you soon.